And we are live from the Empire of Lies, an oasis of truth, free speech, and great conversation in the vast wasteland that is the New World Order under Joe Biden. I thought I'd get both the New World Order and Biden in there. You see what I'm doing, Rod? I'm Lee Stranahan, investigative reporter, and this is The Backstory. So we made it to a Wednesday. Pelosi didn't manage to accidentally kill most of us. So that's good. Hey, Rod, how you doing? Saying hi to our producer, Rod, from Philly. You got a great show for us today, Rod. But how are you doing today? Uh, thanks, Lee. Uh, I'm doing well. Can't complain. How about yourself? No, I'm fine. But I must say, about this, Pel- this Pelosi-China thing is basically over, right? She's back. She's going back to the U.S. And as far as I know, no nuclear Armageddon happened. Am I correct in that? Um, I wouldn't say it's overly because we still don't know what China's reaction is going to be. And uh, she's, I think she's currently visiting South Korea where the president of South Korea is not going to meet with her. Okay, but there's no nuclear Armageddon, right? I did not miss that. <laughs> no, no, no nuclear Armageddon. Thank God. Okay, because remember, it was iffy there for a little while, right? And in New York, you know, luckily in New York, you have the warnings about what to do in case of a nuclear war. I'm sure that makes everyone in New York feel much better. You got to get those on your area of the East Coast, Rod? No, I I didn't leave, but, uh, you know, if you're somewhere near Manhattan and something like that were to happen, I mean, where can you duck and cover with all those buildings? You know, it's just, you just got to say goodbye after that. Well, luckily they call it the Manhattan Project, and there's nothing to do with that, but it makes sense that Manhattan has got the nuclear warnings, because Manhattan Project had nothing to do with that. But that's what the, you know what the Manhattan Project was, right, Rod? correct that and that of course was in new mexico which is a different place now a great show today point out that you've got yakov shapiro on in the first hour and we're talking about israel and zionism we haven't had rabbi yakov shapiro on in a while and always love him when he's on and i'll do this too if you want to call in if you have any questions for yakov you know I do this occasionally, Rod. Call in during Yakov's segment, 202-521-1320. That's because I think Zionism is a very misunderstood concept. And I don't know anybody better to explain what Zionism is and isn't than Yakov Shapiro. Would you agree, Rod? No, I would definitely agree, Lee. And uh, I don't think uh, I don't think Rabbi Yakov's going to shy away from uh, any callers and any questions. Yes, that's right. So, in the second hour, now we had elections yesterday in a number of states. And did you hear who won the Michigan race for the Republican nomination for governor, the gubernatorial race? Did you hear who the nominee is going to be? For Michigan, for governor, for Republican. I don't remember off the top of my head. I know the uh, Arizona, Missouri, but I don't know the Michigan one off the top of my head. Okay, in Michigan, it's going to be running for Republican governor. 
Tudor Dixon. A woman yeah, named, I saw that name. Yeah, I saw a that woman name. named Tudor Dixon. And so fittingly, today, in the second hour, we have Tyler Nixon. Is that a coincidence, Rod? Be honest. No, it is, Lee, because I did see that name on Twitter, but I wasn't really making connecting the dots. So uh, you, you did it. You did that right now, but I didn't. Now, see if you can play Chuck Rollery with those two, because we need to get those kids dating. I don't know who they are, if they're in relationships, but I don't care. Tudor Dixon and Tyler Nixon are the couple of the year. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Lee. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll ask Tyler about that and other gubernatorial. It, it was a night of head exploding for a lot of the media. The media, I don't know if you know this, Rod, this is breaking news. Did you notice the media in this country doesn't like Donald Trump? Uh, yeah, I just noticed that yesterday, Lee. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. And they don't like Donald Trump, and they're freaking out because a lot of people Trump endorsed won yesterday, right? Uh, I think like 90% of them. I think uh, he also played a game with Missouri. He said he wanted Eric to win. And as you know, it was two Eric's, so he still gets his winner. Right. And, and it could have been his son. Is the three. The, the legendary third Eric, the grassy knoll Eric, is the other Eric in the that's unspoken about. But yeah, Trump's endorsees did very well yesterday. Although the one I, among the ones I was watching, Carrie Lake, who's running in Arizona, that's still not ter- ter- determined yet, right, Rod? Oh, well, I was reading that it is determined. So, I, I mean, this is, you know, I was going to bring this up with you. This is such a clown show, Lee. I mean, either she won or she didn't win. Why is there still a dispute over the counting of votes and how many votes, how many ballots they're still counting? Yeah, I, I'm hearing different things, and I looked it up. So either she's won and they're not admitting it, or it's not been determined yet. But that's what I'm seeing. But we'll talk about that race. And we'll talk about the idea of clown shows in a second. We're taking your calls today, 202-521-1320. And this is The Backstory. Now, let me ask, talk about clown shows in general. I think I figured out the Biden policy. The Biden policy is not radical leftist and is not even particularly leftist at some point. But it's not right. And I think I figured out what Joe Biden's policy is. Ready for this, Rod? I think the policy is clown show. What they're trying for is, I got to be careful here, a cluster fudge. You see why I was careful? That could go wrong for me in the FCC. But I'm going to call it a a cluster fudge. And you know what I'm saying, right, Rod? You're you're an adult. Yeah, I know you're saying. <laughs> so when I look at Pelosi China, and I ask, as a newsman and an objective journalist, what the hell was that? Now, you understand why I asked that, because it seems almost like a fever dream. 
like the Pelosi thing's over. She's on her way back. But I'm almost unsure why that happened in the first place. In other words, how did she end up there? You see what I'm saying? And then there's... Uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Rod. No, I was just going to say, you know, we had John Kiriakou on yesterday, and we've had a lot of people on the last two weeks, and nobody's been able to give a clear, concise answer. So you're asking a question that almost nobody has an answer to, which, go, which goes to what you're saying. It's a clown show. Right. So my theory is, do you remember the... the have you heard of... There's a movie, it's based on a comic book. It's a series of movies. Have you heard of Batman... Yeah, yeah, I've heard of, I've heard of that. Okay, guy. good. Okay, so so we're on culturally, we're on the same page. You know, okay, the Batman. Remember the Joker, as played by various people. The Joker was an agent of chaos. The Joker urged, he wanted anarchy. Is that fair to say? He wasn't a normal criminal who's after money, or crack horse. He wanted chaos, and I've determined that the Biden administration, what they're going for is maximum chaos. And Nancy Pelosi kind of looked like the Joker, too. If you took the makeup off the Joker, would it not look like Nancy Pelosi? Uh, you, could, you could go for that. She kind of looks like a who from the uh, Dr. Seuss, uh, the Grinch. She looks like a who to me. Sure. Sure. All of those things combined. But... Uh, because I, I view the China Pelosi thing, it's over now. But it's kind of like, imagine if you were driving down the street and suddenly your car was hit by a tornado and it flipped up in the air and it was sucked around in a tornado and then thrown back down and then you landed driving in exactly the same direction. That's a good metaphor for the Biden administration. That's what it feels like. It feels like there's a lot of chaos and you almost die and then it's suddenly over and everything's the same. Do you see what I'm saying, Ron? No, I, I agree with you, Lee. And uh, that's cre creating a lot of, a lot of I'm sorry, a lot of anxiety in the country. A lot of people were never given like a rest or reprieve, whether it's COVID, climate change, monkeypox, China, Russia. I mean, you keep going and going. It's, uh, it's always some type of a, uh, almost tragedy or something about to explode. And so sometimes when people do stuff, people ask, well, what's their motive? And they try to figure out people's motivations. And it's difficult figuring out human motivations, as anyone knows who's known any people. But uh, what happened here was another example of the cluster fudge. And therefore, since this happens so often, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to turn over all the cards and say that I think what's going on, it's what they want to be going on. Because I think if you end up in a cluster fudge once, you know what George Bush famously said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, fool me won't get fooled again. Remember that quote, Rod? What, what the hell was going on there? But I'd say when this chaos happens over and over and over again, the goal is actually chaos. And what he's trying for is to be an agent of chaos, much like the Joker or Nancy Pelosi without makeup. Do you think that's possible, Rod? Oh uh, no, I've I've been I've uh, you know you kind of uh, came to the conclusion I came to last January or no, 
to, yeah, last January, Lee. So, yeah, I, this is what I expected. And, you know, they haven't disappointed. They just, like you said, they just turned over everything. Uh, you know, now they're congratulating themselves about the gasoline. But as you and I know, once the, the gas tax comes back, the gas is going right back up. And also, I've, I've, I've complained about this before. This Ukraine-Russia war, one of the things that's tricky on reporting on this is that Ukraine are liars. They have no compunction about blatantly and explicitly lying and saying the opposite of what is true. So, so do you see Ukraine still kind of going along with their lie that the prisoners who were the prison they were in and over 50 prisoners, Ukrainian POWs were killed. Ukraine is continuing to say that Russia did it, even though Russia actually knows it's easier to go into a cell with a gun and bang, bang, right? That's a good way to take care of prisoners you've got in your possession. You don't need to launch a missile against them. Does that make sense, Rod? No, no, it definitely makes sense to me. And Ukraine is continuing to push the lie that Russia did it. Did you see that in the media today? And the media just goes along nodding their head. Sure. Okay, Russia did it. If it's something bad, we, we suppose Russia did it. Now, the new thing that Ukraine is pushing is they're saying, and they're actually telling this to Lebanese officials to grab a, a ship that they say Russia stole Ukrainian grain and is trying to sell it. Here's one hint. Ukraine, Russia don't need your grain. From every, not that you're, you're an agricultural expert, but we've talked about enough on the show, Rod. Is it fair to say Russia don't need no grain from Ukraine? No, not at all. Russia's got an abundance, uh, and they're, they're dealing with the east now. They're moving eastward. Right. But did you see they're, they're, the government of Ukraine is telling Lebanon to seize a ship like that would go over well? To seize a ship because it's got stolen Ukrainian grain. And I'm sure, I haven't looked into the details of this, but I'm sure if I look into this, this is grain from, let's say, Crimea. And Ukraine, now where is Crimea? Rod, this is a quiz. Is Ukraine, is Crimea in Ukraine or Russia? Russia. Right. Ukraine, Crimea is part of Russia. But what does Ukraine say? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm sure what the deal is, they're selling, I'm not saying this is the case, because I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm sure if Russia's selling Ukrainian grain, I mean, Crimean grain, that Ukraine is saying that Crimean grain is theirs. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense to me, Lee. It's kind of like if uh, if I had a girl break up with me and, you know, I see her with another guy, I'm like, hey, that's you with my girlfriend, but it's not my girlfriend anymore, you know? Right. That, that's exactly right. And Ukraine needs to get over that. And that's been, since the beginning of this conflict, that's been one of Russia's demands, is that Russia, because you can see where that would cause problems. If Russia... If the Crimean people are part of Russia and Ukraine insists that the Crimean people aren't part of Russia and the Crimean people obviously want to be part of Russia, they're better off under Russia. 
But if Crimea is claimed by Ukraine as its, it's going to cause a lot of problems. You can see that. And this is actually one of the things that Ukraine says when they lob missiles at Donetsk or anything. They say it's our territory, so we have a right to bomb our territory. Have you seen the Ukrainians say that? Yeah, I've seen that, Lee, and it's funny you bring that up because then, you know, if you talk about any shelling that's happening or the, the, the landmines that are being put out there, you know, then they blame Russia within the next paragraph. So they, these people don't even make sense within their own stories that they write. And by, by the way, I, you know, I'm could, you know, saying it's our country, we can bomb it if we want to, only makes sense if you think bombing your own country makes sense. Does that, does that make sense, Rod? The fact that Ukraine is able to say with a straight face, no, we can bomb it because it's our country. So we're only killing our civilians. And then no one in the media, no one in the Western media goes, what? What What are you doing? You're killing your own people? Isn't that bad? Zelensky never gets a, a hardball question like that. But they can say, no, we're killing our own people. So apparently they think, and the media goes along with them. Have you noticed the media doesn't, the media never says, what? What are you talking about? You have the right to murder your own people. What? What does that even mean? No one questions Zelensky's craziness. You notice that, Rod? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you that, Lee. The media doesn't question Zelensky. They just, they're uh, stenographers. Whatever he says is gold. No, exactly right. Now, in other news, did you see Joe Biden has a lingering case of COVID? He's, he was tested again today. And for the fourth day in a row, he's tested positive for COVID. So when I say Joe Biden is an agent of chaos, he manages to screw up natural immunity. That's tough to do. Is it not, Rod? Yeah, I mean, Lee, Joe's an, Joe Biden's an old, sick man. Um, so these PCR tests he's taking, I'm pretty sure they're even ramping down the level on these PCR tests, and he's still testing positive because he's an old, sick man. Uh, they don't want to tell you that. They want to tell you he's the healthiest. He's, you know, he's he's better than Donald Trump. That's you know how the media put it. He's better than Donald Trump. So disregard anything else that worries you. Well, do you know who else he might be better off than? Is, and I, I want to say this. But meanwhile, see if you can find a few clips for tomorrow's show. Nancy Pelosi, we talk about often what a mess Joe Biden is. And he is, and I say this as someone who's admittedly an old mess, but Joe Biden is an older messer. And sometimes that's literally true. But Joe Biden is older and messier than me. And that's saying something. Joe Biden is in bad shape, but Nancy Pelosi is even older than Joe Biden. And we don't hear as many gaps by Pelosi, but they're out there. Oh, oh, do not fear. If you want Nancy Pelosi gaps, there are scores of them out there. And we don't play them as much. And I think we're remiss, Rod, because Nancy Pelosi is clearly a senile old mess. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I think for the first, 
probably a year and a half, she was calling Trump Bush. She was bringing up President Bush all over the, all, all the time. So, I mean, how did you miss Obama? You know, <laughs> how did you just, you just jump to Bush? Yeah, let's let's see if she goes to uh, Millard Fillmore next. That's that's my bet. She might start calling Millard Fillmore. And by the way, Joe Biden is geographically exactly the same age as Millard Fillmore. So check your encyclopedias or Wikipedias after I get through with it. So there's plenty of gaffes out there by Nancy Pelosi, but. Joe Biden is, in a sense, running cover for her. It feels that way. Joe's like, I'll make all the gaffes so no one will notice that the the speaker of our house, who's actively involved in legislation on a daily basis, has the mental consistency of jello that's been left out in a hot room for about three hours. That is Nancy Pelosi's brain. Does that sound right, Rod? After brunch in D.C., yeah, for sure. Yeah. she's Her brain is goo. Let me point that out. And she's been getting away with it, largely because Joe Biden has so many gaps that no one bothers pointing them out. But I saw a couple of things. So let's see if we can do a Grace Hits gaff mixtape tomorrow, okay? Nancy Pelosi mixtape, Rod. Can we get that going? Yeah, that'd be the hottest thing in the streets. Yeah. We'll we'll sell them out of the back of our trunk. So, but I I am convinced that she's as big a mess because I remember she's older and we talk about how old Joe Biden is. Well, answer Nancy Pelosi X plus like four. However old Joe Biden is, Nancy is older, which is, not thought to be physically possible by some people. Now, Biden has also put out, you see he's got new abortion legislation. Also, did you see the Kansas vote on abortion yesterday because it was election day? Is drawing praise from Joe Biden, and it's kind of confusing the media. Because in the media, they have a uh, mostly hate-hate relationship with Kansas. Kansas is considered a red state. And did you see Chris Kobach won yesterday? And the media hates that. You're familiar with Kansas's old Secretary of State, Chris Kobach, who won his his primary race for Attorney General yesterday? Yeah, Lee, uh, I think he was, no, I, I, um, I'm pretty sure he was involved with a uh, immigration looking into immigration into America, but then uh, Trump backed out of that deal. Am I right about that? Well, I know he was involved with immigration because I have talked to Chris Kobach before when I was a reporter for Breitbart and I was covering immigration frequently. I talked to Chris Kobach because Bannon, I believe, had a hookup to him and uh, nice guy and knew the issue of immigration very well and is realistic about it. And I, so I know why the, the, the Democrats hate him. So I'm not, I don't know his position on everything. They said he is a person concerned about the election system. And, you know, they're, they're practically calling me, calling him an insurrectionist. 
Have you noticed that? He's yeah, it's been, yeah. Go ahead, Rod. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the media has been uh, talking about a lot of the people that won yesterday, and they're like, you know, the election deniers, which I don't, I don't, you know. There's a lot of questions about the election in 2020. I mean, these these are just facts. But if you if you even question it, they label you election denier. So the election denier one is Republican race yesterday. Yes, and we'll be talking about that with Tyler Nixon, not Tudor Dixon. Tyler Nixon, be clear on that. Tudor Nixon is a girl, by the way, Rod. When I was suggesting Tyler date Tudor Nixon, that was not a slight. It was not trying to, I'm not trying to gender Tyler Nixon or put him in a box of heterosexuality. But if he dated Tudor Dixon, it would be a male-female relationship, although those definitions are up in the air under the Biden administration. Let's take a short break now. When we come back, we will be joined by none other than the great Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. And we'll be talking about why Israel likes elections so much. That coming up on The Backstory. Back on the backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joined now by a great friend of the show and someone who I consider a friend personally, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. Hi, Rabbi. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing okay. So uh, let me ask you an ignorant cultural question. First off, it's been very hot. You know that. And a lot of I don't know what to call it. I'm sure there's a name. I don't know it. The traditional Jewish outfits, the dress, that doesn't seem very cooling. It seems like it would be good weather when it's cold out. But do you have traditional Jewish attire for when it's really hot like it's been lately, 100 degrees and so on? Well, no. Uh, different uh, Jews, different sects of Jews that come from different places have developed different uh, codes regarding dress. So the Hasidim, who you're referring to, they dress with their hats and their vests and their uh, long jackets uh, 365 days a year, and that all has to do with discipline. It's one of those things where it doesn't really bother them anymore. They're trained, they're taught to uh, do what whatever they need to do, kind of like in the army, you know. But every Tom, Dick, and Harry is taught that in the Hasidic communities. There's discipline, there's self-control. It's a kind of a healthy thing. Uh, so it doesn't really bother them much. Me, uh, I'm, from, I'm, I'm from more of a liberal uh, upbringing. So I dress in, uh, well, I, I, I dress in short sleeves. And um, I go out on the bay in my kayak whenever it's hot. <laughs> right. You're on the wild side, right, Right, Yakov? That's right. I'm on the wild side. I told you when I was a kid, my mother took me to see Mary Poppins. Orthodox Jews generally don't go to movies. But, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah, well, you're a rebel. So, 
Yeah. Let's talk about what's going on in Israel. They, there seem to be a lot of elections, and they, and every time I think for sure they they announce, okay, Netanyahu's gone and is not coming back this time. It seems like something happens, and they're suddenly talking. I'm seeing the headlines lately. They're talking about the return of Netanyahu. So what's going on? Not that. How how closely, first off, are you following what's going on in Israel? Well, I'm following it only to the extent that it's relevant to my work, uh, exposing Zionism to the anti-Jewish movement and ideology that it is. And um, I just recently made a podcast uh, discussing the fact that since 1996, Israel has had more elections than any other country in the world. Now, there's two types of governments. Uh, let's say the United States of America. We elect a president every four years. Once he's elected, you can't do anything to him, you know, unless you impeach him. But you can't bring down the government by having a majority of people that don't want him. There are other governments, such as Israel, such as England, and Israel got most of their government ideas from England, you know, because of the mandatory period, uh, Spain, uh, Greece, where you, in order to be able to stay in the government, you need coalition, that means a collection of parties that comprise uh, 51%, a majority of the votes. So here we have basically two parties. There they have so many parties. And the law is that whoever wins, whichever party wins, you vote for parties, not people, whatever party wins has to now form a coalition where uh, they can take whoever they want and as many parties as they want, as long as uh, they end up with 51% of the votes. Uh, and then they can make a government. But at any point, if at any point in time uh, they lose that majority or somebody leaves the coalition so that they lose the majority or there are other ways to do it, there's new votes, uh, which means that the government in Israel that has had uh, more elections since 1996 than any other country in the world is the most unstable government in the world. And that includes countries like Greece, like Spain, like U.K., where um, you can bring down the government. Now, mind you, uh, Greece had uh, reason to be unstable. By, by the way, after Israel, the next two countries uh, that are unstable is Greece and Spain, but Israel it, uh, passes them. Uh, Greece has a reason to be unstable because, you know, they had all these elections because that, like that government Ponzi scheme, you know, that happened. Um, and Spain... Uh, had reason to be unstable because, uh, you know, they had they had uh, the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the Catalans, they're called, that wanted a different government. And they had, they had uh, political unrest. And Greece had all that uh, economic unrest. But Israel, Israel didn't have any of these problems. Uh, one would think that Israel would be a stable government because not only is it, uh, were there no economic problems that could affect it, there were no political problems really that could affect them, no scandals. It's not like Netanyahu's cigars are enough to bring down a government. Uh, and not only that, but Israel claims to be uh, a, a country that everybody in the country is there for the same reason, for Jewish self-determination, a much more, they claim, monolithic uh, population than other countries. Here in America, we have all sorts of different, we're a we're a um, we're a polyglot. We have all sorts of different types of people 
uh, in the country and in the government. Israel claims Jewish state, a majority Jews, the country is there for the Jews, by the Jews, of the Jews. So one would think that with such a homogeneous and monolithic, homogeneous country and monolithic mission, they would have a really stable government, yet they have the least stable government in the world. Now, isn't that strange? Yes. Now, you bring up a good point. So th there's something unique about Israel, about among the nations of the world, and that you, Israel seems like they're constantly on a re recruitment drive. They're trying to get people to move into settlements. Isn't, isn't that correct, Yakov? It, it is correct, and they're trying to, it's the only country in the world, every country in the world is the country of its citizens. The nationality of the citizens is the same as the citizenship of the citizens. So let's say I come to Italy. I, I migrate into Italy. I, I move there. So even if I don't consider myself national Italian, eventually my children, their children, their children's children, uh, they'll become uh, loyal. They'll all be loyal Italian citizens. They'll imbibe in Italian culture. Eventually they become Italians. Like here in America, we're all Americans, right? Uh, 200 years ago. Right. 250 years ago, there were no men. Right. Israel is the only country that's not that way. According to Israeli law, there's no such thing as an Israeli nationality. It is a Jewish nationality. You can have Israeli citizenship, but it is the Jewish nationality. And Israel is the country of the Jewish nationality. And their Supreme Court said that all the Jews all over the world, including me, uh, who, people who have nothing to do with Israel, never lived in Israel, don't plan on living in Israel, don't even particularly, aren't particularly even fond of Israel. We are all the nation that Israel is the nation state of. The nation is the Jews, which is weird. They, they, so they try to get Jews to move to Israel because that's their, those are their nationals. And no matter how many generations you live there, if you're not Jewish, you're not Jewish, you could live there 20 generations, serve in their army, be the most loyal uh, citizen, be in their Knesset and their, their parliament, but you're still not a national. It's not, you don't have national self-determination rights in that country. There's no other country in the world like that. Nothing. Nobody else comes close. Um, I had a discussion recently, uh, more of a debate with a big Israeli Hasbara artist. Her name was Einat Wilf. And I mentioned this to her. And uh, she didn't have an answer. Like 10 minutes later or something into the discussion, she says, oh, yeah, well, in Turkey, so uh, Edwin, uh, or, 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 Ed, what's his name? Uh, what's his Erdogan. Uh, Ed, what? Say it again. Er Erdogan. That's why I say it. Erdogan, yes. Uh, so, so he, remember, he went to France uh, re, um, saying that he represents the former Turkish citizens in France, because they had a right to vote in Turkey. He was trying to recruit them to vote in Turkey. So it says that, well, that's also a place where uh, somebody claims they represent uh, citizens of other countries. Well, no, those guys were, pre were former Turks, Turkish nationals, who still had a right to vote in Turkey. I have no right to vote in Israel. I never lived in Israel. There was no other country in the world like this, and there was no Zionist that could reconcile this with a normal nationalism. Okay. The problem is, though, on top of all of this, believe it or not, I mean, you can't make this up, Lee. They, Israel still cannot define what a Jew is. And I don't mean that they know who a Jew is. They just can't figure out what makes them Jewish. They cannot even identify the population of Jews. They don't have a definition of Jew that they could say, okay, everybody that fits this definition is Jewish. 
and everybody who doesn't is not. So they're the nation state, the people, they can't even decide who they are. Now listen to this one, okay? Israel is not a theocracy. They do not run according to a Jewish law. They're considered, they consider themselves a democratic state, a secular state, a state. They even refused when they made their Declaration of Independence. They don't have a constitution. But in their declaration, they refused to mention God. In America, it says in God we trust all over the place. We're one nation under God. Israel refused. Ben-Gurion, they refused to mention God in their Declaration of Independence. It's amazing. And yet, listen to this. So you could be an Israeli citizen, but if you're not Jewish, so you're not an Israeli national. You're not a, you're not a, there's a Jewish national, not even Israeli national. How do you become Jewish? So if Israel's the state of the Jews, and if you're an Israeli citizen for 20 generations, you fight in their army, you, you could be on their Supreme Court justice, you could be the prime minister, theoretically, but this, it's not your country. Do you know how you could become a Jew? In two seconds, you convert, you go through a religious conversion anywhere in the world, a reliable religious conversion, and now you are a national of that country. Does this make any sense? This is a country that claims it's not based on any religion. It's, 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 it's so full of contradictions. They can't even figure out what they are. They say they're a Jewish state, a Jewish state, but they can't define the word Jewish. They don't know. They've been debating this uh, for since their, their inception, and they've kind of stopped debating it since they know that none of them, it's not even debates where different people have different uh, positions. They don't, none of them, even none of them have a consistent, a logically consistent position. They just cannot get the, wrap their arms around that. They can't wrap their head around that. They don't have, a, so they're Jew, the Jewish state. They're the state of the Jews. They don't know what the Jews are. Um, Tommy Lapid, that's Yair Lapid's father, Yair Lapid, the current prime minister, his father, he said, well, if Moses uh, was here today, he would say, I'm the real Jew and not the Orthodox Jew. Now, first of all, why in the world would he think Moses would say that? But second of all, why would he care? Suddenly they care what Moses thinks? This whole thing doesn't make any sense. The, the reason this happened was because before Zionism, the only definition of Jewish was the religious definition. Whoever the Judaism makes the Jews, whoever Judaism says is obligated to fulfill 613 commandments, that by definition makes you Jew. The definition of a Jew is somebody who's obligated to fulfill the commandments. If you don't believe in the commandments, then there is no logical definition of what a Jew is, because that's the only definition. It's like saying, I, I don't believe in the number two. Right, one, three, four, five, and then you ask that person, "What does five minus three equal?" He's not going to find the answer. So Israel's not going to find the answer to what a Jew is, and now they have a problem. They have the Jewish state. Their goal, their mission, is self-determination of the Jews in a Jewish way, a Jewish, a Jewish country for the Jews of the Jews, Jewish self-determination, Jewish culture, Jewish heritage, Jewish history, Jewish. Living a Jew, but they don't even know what the word Jewish is. They can't, not that they can't agree. None of them has a clue. No, they can't even claim a logical, uh, logical answer to that. So they, they don't know what the role, let's say, the Arabs are in the country. Right now, for the first time, the Arabs are in the coalition. Uh, so a lot of people don't want the Arabs in the coalition. But why don't you want the Arabs in the coalition? This is a, um, a democratic country. Well, but they're not Jews. And, 
uh, okay, they're allowed to be there, but you know they're terrorists because all Arabs are terrorists. People say, well, if all Arabs wouldn't be terrorists, then why are we, why are we, why do we have an occupation? And their everything stems all their their contradictions and all of their their uh, doubts and their their inconsistencies stem from this one problem, one problem that the definition they are Jewish state. And they have no logical definition of Jew. And, that, and that's why they can't form a government, because what is the purpose of the government? They have a mission. Israel is a country with a mission, not like America. America's uh, uh, liberty, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? Israel, it's, well, Jewish self-determination, Jewish continuity, Jewish, but they don't even know what Jewish is. So if you have a whole bunch of people that have to form coalitions, uh, most are Jews, uh, some are non-Jews, but they can't even figure out what their mission is. They all are very strong about have a mission, we have a mission, we'll die for our mission. Uh, they don't even know what it is. They can't explain what it is. They can't articulate what it is because it, uh, there is no logical explanation for it. So you're talking about chaos. You're talking about chaos. People who are very strong-minded about their mission, about their identity, but they don't, can't define what their mission is or what their identity is. It's chaos. They can't. They, they, so, so therefore, even though they don't have uh, economic instability, they don't have um, political scandals instability, but they have a big identity instability. They can't. They, there's no stable definition or no stable understanding of what a Jewish state is, because there's no understanding of what a Jew is. And in Israel, without that, what are you left with? Nothing. Right. And and a lot of people. When they object to Israel, it's political and it's for political reasons. And so it comes to or, or it's because they support the Palestinian people. But I think your position is somewhat unique among most of the voices we hear on this. It's a theological objection, right? You, you're, you're saying that Israel is, is not, in fact, the land that God promised the Jews, Right. What we call Israel today. Yes, that's for sure true. So, but Israel. But I'm saying I'm saying more than that. Also, I'm saying that never mind theology. Even if you're an atheist, you don't believe in theology, which Israel claims uh, to be a, a country that is not based, at least, on any god, uh, not based on a religion. They have no identity. I'm talking about a social object. I'm talking about a internal emptiness. The whole thing's a lie. Theology is just part of it. The whole thing is a shell. It's fake. You know, you have the evangelicals that have one idea of what a Jew is and what Israel's doing there, and, and they don't believe in the evangelicals. Yeah, obviously not, right? Or Jesus is going to come for the second coming. That's not Israel's narrative. So what is Israel's narrative? Well, the Jews came together for self-determination. Well, first of all, they didn't. Second, well, you don't even know what a Jew is. And now you made a Jewish country. You can't even tell what a Jewish country is. I'm talking about identity crisis. I'm talking about people that who's, who uh, self-identify, the way they identify themselves and their, their national mission, and they have a very particular national mission, has no, there's no way to understand it. It's contradicted to gibberish. Their own identity is gibberish, and their uh, mission is gibberish, and 
they live for their identity, they live for their under, their mission, and the country is defined as a gibberish, uh, a Jewish country, and that adjective, Jewish, that description is gibberish in the context of Zionism. So, yes, uh, it has nothing to do with being Jewish, uh, but we, it's not even that we disagree on the definition of a Jew. Of course we do. I know what a definition of a Jew is. They, don't, they can't even articulate an alternative, uh, an opposing definition, because there is none. As their leaders, Ben-Gurion, said one thing, and Jabotinsky, Jabotinsky said being Jews are race. Does that make any sense? And he said, what about the Oriental Jews, meaning the Ethiopian Jews, the, the Yemenites Jews, the Moroccan Jews? Uh, well, they're not really Jews, the, his school of thought said. There was this um, biologist, Zionist biologist. They're not really even Jews, uh, which is why there's a lot of discrimination against Ethiopian Jews in Israel and, and Oriental Jews in Israel, because they, they can't even figure out what, what, what they are. And let me ask you this one. This is one that the Zionists, once upon a time, argued about. If a Jew is anything but religion, define whatever you want, any word you want, ethnicity, race, culture, whatever you want, anything but religion. Can a Jew be a Christian by religion? Anybody of any ethnicity can be a Christian. Anybody of any culture can be a Christian. Why can't a Jew be a Christian or a Muslim right, or a Buddhist? You're a Jew by ethnicity and a Christian by... Does that make any sense? Well, Israel Zangel, one of the founding fathers of Zionism, said it does, and there'll be Jews all over Israel, and the Omar Mosque will be guarded by Jews who are Muslims, and the Holy Sepulchre will be guarded by Jews who are Christians, but other Zionists said what you're saying doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, but it makes as much sense as anything else. They can't even figure out what a Jew, what they are. There are literally people who live and die and kill and, and occupy and and uh, educate themselves and are dedicated they, to their lives to something that they don't even know what it is. They can't even, it's not even logical even to them. So the fact that they insist they're a Jewish state, but not only a Jewish state, but the Jewish state, and they don't even know, they can't even figure out what they mean by a Jewish state or the Jewish state or even Jew, uh, that will lead to a lot of instability, and it does. That's the problem. Well, and isn't part of the problem is there who gets to define the term? It's logical to me that uh, uh, what makes up membership in a religion is determined by the religion. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay, well, we'll let the state determine who's a, a, a particular religion. Isn't that a problem? No, that is. True, but what? Yeah. What is this? Yeah, go ahead. It's not a religion. It's not a religion. So what is it? That they don't have an answer, and yet, even though it's not a religion, um, you can become a Jew through a religious ritual conversion to Judaism, not a nationalization, a conversion to Judaism. A rabbi gets you in a room and converts you to Judaism. Three rabbis, whatever, according to the uh, due process. Now suddenly. You're a Jew, even though a Jew has not, being a Jew has nothing to do with religion. It doesn't make any sense. It's not even that they're wrong. They are wrong, but it's logically inconsistent. You know, if one says that, somebody says that uh, one plus one is three, that's wrong. But if somebody says one plus one is uh, three, but uh, 
um, four minus two is six, that's a contradiction. And you can't even reconcile that in your mind. They can't even, they don't even have an answer to one plus one here. They don't have an answer to, to four minus two. And, and it's not even a discussion anymore. It's, you're talking about a bunch of people that are living in a delusion, but it's not a delusion. It's a, uh, a uh, one of those uh, psychedelic delusions, you know, where everything is just nothing. Hallucinization? Uh, halluc- they're living in a hallucination, but like one of these psychedelic hallucinations where there's no reality even. And they're not all living in the same one. And now these guys have to form a government based on, you know, the, their identity and their mission and the, the world that they're living in. So, A, none of them are living in any consistent world. They can't define it. And two, they're not living in the same world as each other. So go form a government for a Jewish state. <laughs> it doesn't make any no, sense. No, and I think you pointed out what would obviously be the problems there. And this is why I think we have so many problems. You, you think that the issue of Zionism is in many ways fundamentally a conceptual issue. It's about the concept of something. Correct, Yakov? Yes, the idea. Yeah, the idea of something. And what's, because this is your mission, what is your solution for this? Since the problem is conceptual, it seems to me to be unique among political problems where you're not going to solve it merely by electing someone new or a new party. How do you solve this kind of idea problem, Yakov? You by education, educating people to understand that Israel has nothing to do with the Jews. The whole idea is a scam. Israel should stop calling. Now, Israel can only continue the charade of calling itself the Jewish state if the rest of the world cooperates with them. If the rest of the world laughs at them, ha you're Jewish like the Pope is Jewish, you know. Um, then they have no choice. They're not going to be treated like a Jewish state. They can't uh, negotiate like a Jewish state. They can't. They, that's what needs to be done. The world needs to be educated, to, like all delusions. All delusions, the truth is the solution. Israel is not the Jewish state. It's not a Jewish state. It has nothing to do with the Jews. Um, Zionism and Judaism are two completely opposite things, actually at loggerheads, have nothing to do with each other, even in opposition to each other. Then let them understand that. And then there'll be peace in the Middle East. You know why? Because once Israel becomes a normal democratic country, they'll call themselves Herzl Stan, let's say, right? They'll have votes like a normal democratic country. Um, there'll be an uh, uh, army and a police force and a national guard, whatever you want, to keep the peace. Um, let them be a normal country. Their problems all stem from the fact that they claim to be defending their status as a Jewish state or as the Jewish state, and others say, no, we want a democratic state. That's their problem. The problem is that you can't have a Jewish state and a democratic state together. And everybody from Mayor Kahana on the right, the right-wing fanatic politically, to John Kerry, uh, close to the left, said the same thing. Uh, this, is, this is the root cause of their problem. So the answer is, you have a choice. Be a, a Jewish state, they're not. So the answer is become a democratic state. Become a normal democracy. Call yourself Herzl Stan, 
Sounds good to me. Now, Yakov, you mentioned you, you have a podcast. Your podcast is Committing High Reason. That's the name of the show, correct? High Reason. Yes, that is the name of the show. Yes. I had. So what my, What? What have you been talking about on Committing High Treason, Reason, forgive me, in the last couple of minutes? What What has been com, Committing High Reason covering lately? Last, the last podcast we had this idea of why Israel has so many elections. And before that, I had a guest for two previous podcasts, Ambassador Chaz Freeman. Uh, we spoke about Ambassador Freeman was uh, nominated to be the head of the uh, United States, the intelligence agency. That, uh, that was going to be the umbrella agency of all of them. But of course, he had to withdraw his own nomination because uh, the Zionists said he wasn't Zionist enough. He tells the whole story. We have a session about Zionist propaganda by somebody, Chaz is great. Um, and then we had him previously also about propaganda in general, uh, about Ukraine uh, propaganda, the whole, the whole business with Ukraine and Russia. About He said that this is the biggest propaganda campaign in the history of humanity. That's what he said. Now, so you mentioned before the, the last film you saw in the theaters was Mary Poppins. So you are not... So I'm bringing that up because I've got to wonder, as someone who doesn't participate in in, in pop culture, had you heard of Whoopi Goldberg? What did you think of Whoopi Goldberg was? <laughs> had you heard of her? The name? I thought Whoopi Goldberg was some uh, uh, white Jewish comedian guy. Uh, until I found out, not not much afterwards, but I found out, you know, who Whoopi Goldberg was. You know why uh, there are many African Americans with Jewish-sounding names? Why? Because when they were, back in the olden days, when their ancestors were slaves, their owners were Jewish, and they assumed the names of the owner. There we go. Because she recently got in trouble for basically saying that Judaism's a religion, not a race. You saw that kerfuffle? With Whoopi Goldberg getting in trouble for saying that? No, I, I didn't know that uh, she got in trouble for saying that, which is very interesting uh, because she's right. <laughs> she's right. Yes. No, that's exactly right. That's why I brought it up. But Yakov, always great to have you on the show. You're brilliant. Thanks so much for sharing information that people don't get anywhere else. Rabbi Yakov Shapiro. And you can find him on YouTube 
or Committing High Reason is his podcast. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about more going on in the worldwide revolutions on the backstory. from the empire of lies, a bastion of free speech, open debate, and great conversation in the wasteland that is the New World Order. This is Lee Stranahan, investigative journalist, and this is The Backstory. So always great having Yakov Shapiro on, hey Rod? Yeah, no, Rabbi's great. Yeah. And it gets to the heart of the problem with Zionism, which is a conceptual problem. It's it's a bad idea. Does that make sense? Forget about any policies of them. But as he points out, when you're based on hallucinization, expect some problems in policy. Does that make sense, Rod? Uh, I would compare I would compare it to liberalism. Lee, uh, it doesn't doesn't make sense conceptually. Right, and it. it it quickly finds those contradictions and it shows up in all kinds of policy problems. But we had elections yesterday. It was a Tuesday, so we had elections in Michigan, Arizona, a number of states. And we'll be talking about them with the great Tyler Nixon at the bottom of the hour. But I'm pointing out again, because I like saying it, that the winner of the Michigan gubernatorial primary was Tudor Dixon. What are the odds of that, Rod? You gotta admit, Tudor Dixon, when we have Tyler Nixon on the show, is pretty amazing. You know, I saw that name on Twitter, Lee, and I, and I saw that one in Michigan, but I thought it was a man, so. A man named Tudor? I've actually never, I've actually never heard that name with anybody, so. Right, yeah, it's not a common girl name either. but. We'll have Tyler Nixon at the bottom of the hour, and we're taking your phone calls. 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. So I realize we've been talking a lot about the worldwide revolutions, the things that are going off around the world, where people are either over, over, you know, in the case of Boris Johnson, forcing them out, or in the case of Sri Lanka, swimming in the pool of the guy who was running the country. And we've talked a lot about those, but I see a lot of people who are clear on what they're against. They're against the new world order. They're against the world economic forum. They're against the policies of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. But what are they for? Do you see my question, Rod? I see people who are, it's clear what the, they're against, but what are they for? Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, Lee. Nah, um, I would say it's a return to normalcy. Well, if it's a return to normalcy, what is normal the way it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I would say normalcy isn't a good goal because normal was pretty messed up. 
all the problems ex existed, but it, in other words, the WHO existed before COVID-19, but people didn't know they had so much power. The CDC existed. Does that make sense? And in fact, there were a lot of people, the term anti-vaxxer, the anti-vaccine movement has been around for a long time, but what happened was it didn't affect most people, but there were anti-vaxxers for decades. Have you noticed that, Rod? Oh yeah, for sure. I've dealt, I've dealt with that in the medical field, but um, you know, I was just saying with their, with these people, you know, Sri Lanka, uh, in the Netherlands, I believe their normalcy is, you know, stop attacking our food. Uh, you know, I, I believe this is my belief, just being in a corrupt city like Philadelphia for so long that some people accept a little bit of corruption as long as everything else is functioning, you know, you're picking up our trash, the police are getting criminals, you know, uh, the jails aren't being, aren't releasing large swath of criminals and, you know, things like that. So that's the normalcy that I think these people around the world who are, are revolting, you know, Canada as well, they just want to, you know, leave us alone kind of thing. Like, you know, maybe whatever, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they didn't, like you said, they didn't, they didn't really think about these things and they, they kind of want to go back to that. But well, I think that's a great point, Rod. And let me, let me amplify on the point you're making, that people accept a certain amount of corruption. Has Joe Biden created a new normal for what is acceptable corruption? Is lying blatantly? Joe Biden's, you heard him say, he had nothing to do, he, he didn't know anything about his son Hunter's finances. You've heard him say that point blank. I I had no knowledge of it. Right? Yeah, he said that on debate stage. Donald Trump confronted him and he... Uh, and he said he, he didn't know anything about him. Not that he was involved. We'll come back to that. But let's just leave it. He said he knew nothing about it. Now, clearly, that was a lie. Because clearly, there's messages between him and Hunter Biden that show that Joe Biden knew something about his son's finances. Correct? 100%. So you, you see what I'm doing? I'm trying to say that's not up for debate. He knew about them. Now, it seems to me that he's the big guy. There's ample evidence to believe that. But I'm afraid that what he's done is he's normalized corruption to the point where when people see a president in the United States actively involved and apparently getting kickbacks from his son's corrupt business dealings that everyone's okay with it. Does it make sense, Rod, why I'm concerned about Joe Biden setting a new normal standard for corruption in America? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you with that, Lee. Um, I don't think it's being normalized. I think that's just the establishment just trying to brush it under the rug and the media going right along with it. But I don't think people are okay with it. Um, it's not very talked about much because, um, you know, I think people are kind of programmed now. If it's not in the media, if it's not being talked about in music or entertainment, then it's not a big issue. But uh, I don't think it's being normalized to the general public. But the establishment, yeah, 100%. Well, and my definition of being normalized would be to the establishment because I agree with you. I'm, but I'm not saying the 100% of the people. Obviously, there's some people who, who don't like Biden. But in that way, there were people who didn't like Trump, but what they didn't put up with was the president blatantly 
getting kickbacks. You, I listened to you. I told told you. I listened to a lot of news shows before the show to prep, and I heard a story on NPR from a reporter there who I know I've talked to before, Laura Sullivan, and she's a good reporter. She worked on stuff up in South Dakota years ago, but I noticed on NPR a Laura Sullivan story about China. And you know, Rod, I'm normally skeptical about stories on China, right? I don't buy a lot of hype on China. Right. But this one was true. So the United States spent $15 million, which is a drop in the bucket for the government spending. But the U.S. government spent $15 million on research on batteries, the big Elon Musk kind of batteries that can power a house. Have you seen those batteries, Rod? The giant batteries that can replace the electrical grid? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So we spent $50 million on that research. And this is why a lot of people on the right are skeptical about that research. We think there's something fishy. It's not that we're opposed to batteries. It's that we're opposed to fishy. Does it make sense, Rod? A, a lot a lot of Republicans I know object to the potential for corruption and, and graft. That's a lot of Republicans who are against the Green New Deal. It's the New Deal part more than the Green part. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And it's also what uh, a, lot, a lot of people are upset with this, this bill that uh, might get passed this, that Senator Manchin proposed. Okay, so what Laura Sullivan at NPR, and she again, she's a good journalist. She does her homework. She found that those patents for the super battery that the U.S. spent $15 million on had been transferred through some process to the government of China. So all the money the U.S. spent on research on those super batteries, the product of that, the intellectual material, the patents, was given to China. And China's going ahead and producing those batteries. So basically, the U.S. paid for the R&D. And I don't know if it's the government of China or just a Chinese company. But my theory is, if the U.S. paid for the R&D, then it belongs to the U.S. Uh, is that controversial, Rod? No, I think a lot of people would agree with that. And I, I agree with that, that, you know, you know, we, we paid for it, so it's ours. I mean, that's our money. It's not the the government doesn't have any money. You know, it's our money. Right. And, and, and so, again, I don't know if the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is now getting into battery business. And because people on the right like to bring up the Chinese Communist Party, I, I think because it sounds like something scary. But I'm not sure if it's the Chinese Communist Party who's benefiting or just some guy in China who maybe has a battery company and he got a hold of those patents. But that is an outrage. And that is the kind of thing people on the right object to. I think they object to us putting up the money. And it is what a lot of people on the right worry about. Am I right? When they hear the Green New Deal, they consider it because a lot of people don't understand it. A mask for corruption. You think I'm on the money there, Rod? 
No, yeah, you 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 are Lee. I mean, a lot of the stuff has been discussed and uncovered, and we find about uh, you know these backdoor deals that uh, these senators and certain congressmen have, and they're going to benefit from these you know windmills or uh, uh, yeah, it's like windmills or solar panel companies that we are in business with. So yeah, I I understand exactly what you're saying. But you understand that the media likes to make it out like the right hates science. Attention, media. The people on the right are the ones who figured out that when you have sex with someone, the resulting clump of tissues is a baby. You know, we figured out that science, but apparently we hate science. We've, we're the ones who figured out that if you've got a uterus, Rod, what is that? What does science tell you? You've got a uterus. What are you? That's a woman. That's a woman. As, I know it's controversial. They have the newfangled leftist science and math. It's it's like the new math. But we're the ones on the right who know that. Our objection is not to science. Our objection is to the fact that a lot of you people on the left, and, and I'm talking about Democrats here, you hear something green, and then you think you need no oversight on it. They say we're... We're making solar panels, and so they need no oversight. Does that sound right, Rod? If if you say it's solar or it's wind wind power, wind power better. If there's a windmill being put up, we don't need to look into who's making money on it, right, Rod? Yeah, uh, to the people on the left and the leftists, it's kind of become a religion. This uh, climate, this whole climate. Uh, emergency. It's a climate emergency. We need to switch to solar and wind and, you you know, just do it now, Lee. And like you said, there, need, there needs to be no oversight because these people don't care. And then the fact that uh, the politicians know this, that means they can get away with uh, corruption. In fact, the, 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 the corruption is built in. It's not only that you can't question it, but that if you question it, you're anti-science. If you ask questions like, how's this going to be paid for? Or why is Hunter Biden making $80,000 a month at, at an energy company? Well, undoubtedly, and that's why I talked the other day about ESG, environmental social governance. And, be, and, and lots of people see that the establishment liberal groups like the World Economic Forum all love this green stuff with no oversight. Hey, yes. Uh, it's funny that you brought that up. I was watching, I was watching a uh, boxing. I watch like old fights on YouTube. Sometimes I don't really watch TV shows or anything. Cause they're all, you know, they all that woke stuff in it. It just, just messes it up. But, um, I was watching one of the fights on YouTube and a commercial came up and it's Greenfield meats. They were talking about, uh, uh, their baking and how the the way they make their baking is uh, sustainable and their carbon emissions are down. So pretty much it was like an ESG commercial, and most people wouldn't know what the hell's being brought in front of their face. So I'll try to pl I'll try to grab it and play it for tomorrow. But it was just interesting that we were talking about it, and now you know uh, you know where you get your bacon from. You know you want to get your bacon from uh, where the least carbon emissions come from because that'll take make it taste better. Now we'll go to Tarif uh, on the phones. We we got a call. 202-521-1320. And Tarif, thanks for waiting. What is on your mind, sir? Thank y'all for taking my call. I have two comments. First, I like to say free June and science. First comment is this. 
Rumble lawsuit against um, Google with, because of the Google search. It wasn't showing Gumble, um, Rumble video searches, right? So Rumble won a lawsuit against Google stating that uh, Google have to turn over the algorithms to them in court so they can no, figure out, you know. What not true. Wrong. Let me amplify what you're saying here because this is a big deal. The problem is that Google is a search engine company. And they also own YouTube. And so the question is, when you type in at a search engine and you're looking for a video, do they promote the YouTube videos ahead of, let's say, Rumble, right? And Rumble is saying that they do and that that represents a monopoly concern, a concern that they're getting an unfair advantage in search. Right, Tarif? Is that it, essentially? Yeah, that, that's, that's what... Rumble is uh, applying, you know, to saying that they are getting unfair results, not in their favor, only in YouTube and Google favor, right? Which is caused, which we have anti-monopoly laws, which Google is right. breaking, you know? So hopefully that can translate over to Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter with him trying to get Twitter algorithms as well. So hopefully that can help out help him out too, hopefully. Um, my second comment is dealing with um, the, the Lagasse and uh, Donetsk region of the Donbass region of uh, Ukraine, the, the, you know, the separatists, the rebels in that area. From what I understand by reading, they recognize uh, North Korea as a legitimate government, and they're going to trade with them with grain, food, resources, technology, things of that nature, bypassing the U.S. sanctions against North Korea. And also the writer who wrote, I mean, the politician from Russia that said that, they say also if North Korea wants, in uh, the best reason, ask them to, uh, North Korea also, if they want, in the near future, could Maybe up to a hundred. They can North Korea can actually put up to a hundred thousand DP I mean, um, North Korean troops, fully equipped North Korean troops in Ukraine and Eastern Ukraine to help out the Donbass region. So it was a speculation, but they say once the uh, agreement is signed with food resources and technology with the Donbass region, then uh, North Korea can assist them with military help. Can assist Eastern Ukraine with military help, up to 100,000 troops. So we'll see how this going to go. That's, the, that's my two comments for today. Great comments, as usual, Sharif. Thanks for the call. Now, Rod, have you seen in the world of crypto, a Bitcoin and Ethereum are about to come under some regulation? Have you seen that? Yeah, a lot of crypto people are upset that they might be... Uh... Uh, classified as uh, commodities, I believe. I might be wrong yes. about that. Yeah, commodities. They want to be, the, the people in crypto community want to be called securities, uh, but uh, supposedly they might be uh, listed as commodities. Because in a sense, it's it seems like to Wall Street, they view cryptocurrency as an investment, not a currency. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I would guess, you know, we didn't get that uh, too in-depth about it with uh, Professor Warner, but I'm guessing that's because they expect or are being pushed that, you know, uh, 
the government's going to create a uh, centralized uh, digital currency. So I guess they want to move away from Bitcoin. I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm not 100% sure about how this is all going. It's still fluid, but that's just my uh, that's just my take. Well, that's my take. Not sure about where it's going is my general take on crypto. I I understand the reality is governments would find that very threatening that you basically can create your own currency because it's one of the superpowers of governments is creating their own currency. So if anyone can come along and create, you know, you know what I mean, if a, if a third-party company can create its own currency, that represents a threat to the power that the government has. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, for surely. Uh, and that's why, you know, it's been a big thing in the crypto community that, uh, you know, Trump's people, they were trying to push Trump's people to get a, as a security uh, in this and the people in the SEC. But, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't go through with it. So now, uh, supposedly, the, these people in the Biden administration want to make it a commodity. And, now, you know, there are a lot of people upset about that. And by the way, we talked but we're going to talk to Tyler Nixon about it coming up. But we talked about the primaries yesterday in a number of states, Michigan, Arizona, et cetera. We talked about that, but we said that Donald Trump's endorsees had done very well. And obviously, you know why that is, right, Rod? You ask me why, why they won? Why Trump's endorsees won. And obviously, the answer, I'll tell you, because you, you seem baffled by it. I'll tell you what it is. Is true social is the secret weapon true social? Do you think that's possible, Rod? Absolutely not. Okay, right. That was the right answer. Good, because true social is hot as a pistol, and as Carmine Sabia said, yeah, a water pistol. Meaning, true social is as hot as water. And remember, I'm a Republican, so I hate science, and. I didn't know that fire couldn't be water. I'm a little confused by that. But Trump said it, so it must be true. But is, in your opinion, truth social as hot as a pistol that's even lukewarm, Rod? Uh, Lee, I've never even grabbed anything off True Social. I've never seen any like headline, like, look what someone said on True Social or this, that, and the third. Um, no. So I, I wouldn't... No, I wouldn't at all. I think these people won... Because uh, I mean, the America First policies are what a lot of people uh, adhere to, and a lot of these candidates are running on that. And True Social, I think, shows—I think True Social is a bad move for Trump, and it reminds people of his failures. True Social is the border wall of social media. Let me say it. True Social is the border wall— of social media. It's a successful, you know, Trump was going to build a border wall. He didn't do that. Um, unless I missed something. If I missed a border wall protecting our southern border, Rod, or did Trump do that? No, actually, uh, Joe Biden's doing that now in, uh, in, in Arizona, in the Yuma, Yuma section of Arizona. Yes. And uh, so my point is, you don't want to remind people of your failures. And having a bad social media network, True Social, 
which objectively, when I say bad, it's objectively doesn't have the numbers, right? Uh, it, it's got nowhere near the number of people. But furthermore, you raised a good point. I don't know of any news that comes out of True Social. True Social is not something I feel compelled to be on. I don't need to listen to True Social to get anything to prep for the show, for instance. Do you feel any compulsion to get on True Social, Rod, at any at any point during the day? Uh, no, not at all, Lee. And I think uh, Donald Trump's going to drop this like a bad habit as it gets closer to the election, and he's going to try to get people to forget about True Social. Or he'll drop it like a border wall, which I've noticed he's kind of stopped talking about. But let's take a short break. When we come back, we're joined not by Tudor Dixon, but by Tyler Nixon. And we'll discuss that naming controversy. It's not really a controversy, but I think it's funny. Tyler Nixon next on The Backstory. backstory and we are joined this hour by Tyler Nixon the great commentator and analyst we'll be with Tyler in one second but let's point out that we are on the radio 105.5 FM AM 1390 now hey Tyler how you doing good good to be with you Lee now so be honest what do you think of the name Tudor Dixon she's a Michigan woman (laughs) who's going to be the Republican nominee and I couldn't help but think of you, but Tudor Dixon. What do you think of that name? I think it's it's it's, it's a great name. It's a memorable name. It's very close to mine. I mean, it's the same same number of uh, uh, letters in each name, and yeah, I mean, just a couple couple different uh, different uh, letters, and it's uh, practically the same name. It's kind of strange, but I think Tudor Dixon is a is a real firebrand, and I just I love these Republican women. Who are stepping up, um, whether it be like Maya Flores or any of them, to just uh, really Lake. stick it in the face, stick it in the face. Yeah, exactly, Carrie Lake, stick it in the faces of these um, uh, of the Democrats, particularly when they're running against a wretch like uh, Gretchen, uh, or excuse me, uh, a Granholm, or is, no, excuse me, Gretchen Whitmer, Whitless Whitmer. Yeah, um, Whitmer. Yeah, yeah, Whitmer. No, exactly. Now, the other thing about these Republican women, and what do you think about this idea? They're, and I'll explain what I mean by it. They're all real women. They're, these Republican women, men should be in politics, which is a, a male domain. The men should be, I, I noticed a lot of these, and I would say it started with Palin. The men should be feminine, but tough. Does that make any sense, Tyler? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and they're successful as mothers and wives and as well as as business people or depending on whatever the you know their profession was. Um and then in politics as well. Yeah, they they don't they don't their their lives aren't immersed in uh sort of the the politics of feminism, quote unquote. Um or or the le- the the typical democrat leftist um career paths for women. And they're also not shrinking violets. They're also not sit down and just do as you're told sort of women. 
and and that's what makes liberals nuts uh, with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Bowler. And and I think it makes them nuts that they're not compliant and that yet they're not leftists. What do you think about that, Tyler? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think they view them as they view uh, black conservatives and black Republicans as heretics. You know, if you're a woman, oh, you're supposed to be a Democrat. You're supposed to believe in all this, uh, you know, all, all of the uh, sort of feminist insanity that goes along with the, uh, you know, the Democrat left's dogma, their orthodoxy concerning women and abortion and all this type of nonsense, just as they believe, you know, you're supposed to be on the plantation. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're black, you're supposed to be uh, you're supposed to be with with the Democrats no matter what. And just as they view at really any minority group, I mean, unless you're a white male, they, they really have, you know, they, they view you as uh, as their domain. And if you and if you stray from that, you know, you're like I said, you're a heretic. You're treated you're treated like, uh, I mean, worse than simply someone who doesn't agree with them. You're, you're viewed as some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of um, a- aberration. But shouldn't any group who's being courted by Democrats know that you are next to be broken up with. For instance, the Democrats for a long time treated black people in this country like they were owned by the Democrat Party. And so, but as soon as the they started to see the demographics changing towards Hispanic, the Democrats threw African Americans under the bus. Do you know what I'm getting at, Tyler? Yeah, sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, they just, yeah, they they just sort of stopped catering to them because they it was assumed, um, and I mean, let's face it, they they took them, they take them for granted. I mean, they because unfortunately, the numbers show, and well, they had until more recently that they could be relied on, no matter what they did or didn't do for whatever, if you want to call it a community. I mean, but for African Americans, whether it be you know in a narrow sense or if you want to lump them together as a quote, you know, subgroup community, um, just didn't really do anything. That nothing they've done has ever improved a lot of uh, generally of African Americans or particularly of you know urban uh, African Americans that are you know impoverished. They've done nothing to improve their their lot whatsoever. If they if there's been any improvements there, people have uh, improved their lives. It's been by their own doing. It's been by their own freeing themselves, frankly, from. The uh, enslavement of uh, the welfare state, you know, that, that Lyndon Johnson had set up, uh, you know, in the 1960s and has perpetuated itself. It's just become this, uh, you know, the, get get on the dole, you know, and and don't bother improving yourself, don't bother uh, supporting yourself, to have no ambition, uh, and created. And then, of course, you know, the drug war comes along, um, and you know, the incentives uh, for, uh, you know, you can make more money as a drug dealer. Um, because of like, let's face it, the risk premium created by the drug war, um, has, has, you know, driven a lot of families into that. It, yeah. It's just been an awful cauldron of, uh, the, you know, the black, uh, the black community, or the black, uh, population in the United States has been like an experimental test subject for the Democrats, um, social, uh, welfare policies and social, in many ways, enslavement policies to the government, you know, permanently just, uh, you know, group subgroups of people who are, generations that are beholden to the government for subsistence and are, are trapped in these, uh, you know, these urban, um, just uh, horrifying nightmarish sort of situations, whether it be projects or, you know, subsidized housing. And then now, now they're being uh, at the whim of the policies of, or the uh, you know, lack of enforcement of law 
of the Soros elected DAs and so forth, you know, who've just you know made uh, decriminalized a lot of, frankly, uh, property crimes and have made the inner cities and cities, large cities, even worse than they were. And, uh, you know, that's let's face it. I mean, I, I think that's I don't know what they're thinking or if they just don't care about these communities. But now they see, I think, the uh, uh, Hispanic or Latino, whatever you want to call it, that contingent now moving away from them. I mean, it's just it's just it's just amusing to think, you know, you hear I remember James Carville and his ilk and those types talking about the, you know, the permanent Democrat majority and how it was just, you know, you know demographics is destiny and they're going to control the future. And because everybody who's any, you know, if you're not white then you're you have to be Democrat overwhelmingly. And, you know, these people have to live in the same world as the rest of us do. Uh, and which the Democrats are increasingly making uh, more and more difficult and grueling and harsh and brutal um, and unforgiving unless you're one of their, you know, one of the wealthy elites of their ilk. Um, and naturally, I mean, they're going to look for another place and, and they're finding it in the and, Republican Party. And Tyler, we've talked about music many times. Of course, you're a deadhead. You're a big music fan. But the example I use is Marvin Gaye's album, What's Going On? You, you're, for course, familiar with that great album oh, by Marvin Gaye. Yes. Wonderful. And Marvin Gaye, every one of the problems he sings about, when he sings, there's far too many of you dying, that's never been true more than today. What's going on, I use as an example of what the Democrats have been promising for decades and have not delivered on. Do you know what I'm getting at, Tyler? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, they're just they're they're the, the the bottom end of the socioeconomic spectrum, and they suffer the worst brunt of the Democrat economic and uh, social welfare policies. And yet they're supposed to be the the you know be the ones who are the recipients and beneficiaries of it. You look at the amount of spending is mind boggling. The money that there are, I mean, even just the recent so-called reconciliation that they're trying to force through what seven hundred billion. You know, where does this help? The poor, you know, I mean, disadvantage. I mean, you could, if you were just handing out cash, you'd be better than what they're doing, which is just, you know, it's basically funneling it through. Uh, let's, uh, you know, they're funneling it into the hands of their cronies in these this Green New Deal boondoggle nonsense, which is just a giant grift. Uh, the whole climate change thing is a giant grift, frankly. And you know, that, that, that's what they just, you know, let's face it. Unless you're unless you're in a position to receive those funds in some way, or you're connected to somebody. You can forget it. You're, you're getting the you're getting barely the scraps off the table, and particularly for an inner city black person who's just you know you you can you can hope maybe that the welfare dole that you're 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 on that you're you know basically uh, stuck to or stuck with, and as as jobs and uh, businesses leave these cities because of these leftist DAs that have uh, fomented just a crime rampage going on right now, um, that that. There's anything left in terms of uh, gainful employment if you if you don't even want to be on the dole, and that's about it. And it's never changed since, like I said, since Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson famously told uh, a, a, another Democrat governor, "I'll have these you know what's voting Democrat for the next 500 years." Uh, you know, and this was by he thought by passing these massive social welfare programs that would just you know giveaways, free this and free that. But you know, there's nothing more expensive than something that's free. In terms of, uh, you know, I think your your personal welfare, uh, your personal ambition, and your ability to succeed. Yeah, no, and as you point out, Lyndon Johnson, w when he said, "We'll have those, you know what's 
that was a racial slur he is, correct, Tyler? Yeah, yeah. He said these these N-words, all of these N-words voting Democratic for the next 500 years as he passed these, uh, you know, these massive social welfare programs. You know, get him. In other words, they've if they viewed it at the time, I guess, as, oh, he's, you know, the salvation of, of the poor, um, you know, the poor disadvantaged uh, urban black population. And it's just been it all has, you know, he, he essentially said it. He'll keep them on the plantation for 500 years because, you know, they'll just be on the dole all the time and they'll never, never be able to break out of it. You know, very few will, let's just say the mass mass of them. Um, it's just, you know, it's it, it becomes a cultural thing. It becomes a uh, endemic. I mean, there's that they don't know they're they're And the education system has failed them so badly that, uh, yeah, it's just it's very sad. I mean. You know, the, the, only, the only thing missing from what it was, say, 250 years ago is the, is the actual uh, enforced, um, you know, work, the servitude aspect of it. But it's just the same. Well, I would say people who are in prison working for 15 cents an hour might disagree with you, Tyler. You know <laughs> yeah, about the prison. No, oh, of right. course, right. Yeah, prison, I forgot that. Prison labor. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the private prisons, too. I mean, that's what's even worse. It's not even... Uh, you know, it's these companies, again, more cronyism, uh, you know, sort of the the opportunity. Uh, no, absolutely. The people who cycle through uh, on drug offenses. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden's drug war has uh, imprisoned and, and enslaved in a way and, and or certainly uh, put in bondage more African-American people uh, than any other piece of legislation or any sort of social policy or, uh, uh, you know, uh, cultural regime since, frankly, slavery. Yes, and you pointed out Biden's drug war, but his son Hunter Biden, I understand, is working on crack wars. And I'll just leave it right oh, yes. there. Well, That's what he's. Yeah. Go go <laughs> ahead, Tyler. He's d- doing his best to keep his uh, to keep uh, you know certain aspects of the uh, of of the you know the the drug dealing population or whatever the criminal population uh, well funded and in business. And you know it's sad because I think also. You know, it's not just the fact of the people who are being, you know, uh, uh, caught up in the criminal justice system, but also it's created a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, gangster world that includes the cartels. I mean, look at the cartel, look at the growth of the Mexican cartels from, you know, just a bunch of yahoos back in the late 70s, uh, you know, risking exporting, uh, you know, coca, cocaine, whatever it was, uh, now into these multi-billion dollar Mass, massive organizations that rival even nations in some sense, uh, and have infiltrated and are essentially running our our southern border at this point. With it's being you know free for all, wide open, uh, whether it be human trafficking, uh, and you can thank the fentanyl crisis, you know, and, and I'm sure that they're well aligned with the communist Chinese with whatever their aims are in terms of poisoning the American population, you know, as best they can, uh, as, uh, in, in whatever ways they can. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's all part of this axis that has been, it is a sort of new axis that's growing up around um, what the Democrats have either failed to do or who they've favored um, in terms of, you know, and failing actually, I'll, to. I'll just point out that the historically, the real government that got people addicted to drugs was the British government with the Chinese. And the opium war was the way the British government and people forget that HSBC, the bank, came out of that period. The opium wars got Chinese people addicted and millions died 
to drugs during the 19th century. Are you familiar yeah. with the opium war, Tyler? Yes, yeah. There, there was no opium in China. It's the Brit British basically you know, exported it or, or made sure that it was imported into China. And yeah, yeah, totally destroyed, uh, got countless, countless Chinese uh, people's lives and then you know, wrecked very much of their productive uh, abilities, even as an, uh, whatever an agrarian economy that they were back then. Now, talking about, by the way, interestingly, at the beginning of the 19th century, China had the biggest GDP of any country. And the British, after the Opium War, had managed to reduce it to number two or three. And the British was the top economy in the world. So I'm going to point out that China also had a successful economy. And do you know why they're successful? Is they were self-sufficient. The Chinese economy at that point didn't need to trade with the British. And the British wanted to trade for tea. And the only people who made tea, basically, were the Chinese. And China didn't need to trade with them. So the British destroyed their economy with the opium wars. So that's yeah. just some, I've been studying a history lately and some mess. You can understand. Now, Tyler, uh, yeah, take it. As you say, you can understand on some level, the sort of hatred, if there's an innate historical animus towards the West, I mean, the British, the imperial moves of the British as the, you know, the dominant Western power for so long. I mean, we're all in so many cases, just, maliciously destructive and self-dealing and awful. I mean, whether, you know, I that, believe the Chinese call that the, the, the century of humiliation. I believe that is the phrase they use. And it's true. Yeah. It was a century of humiliation for the Chinese. Agreed, Tyler? Yeah. I mean, they had for dozens, dozens of centuries been self-sufficient and, you know, had had these, you know, a massive output as a as a nation within themselves itself and, and not relying on trade in any way. Um, you know, we're very much just a closed world. And these people come in and just wreck that and, and introduce this, these horrors. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, and I guess ultimately, you know, President Nixon sort of opened China, as they said, so to speak. I mean, Right. The question is, you know, what did he open? Is it Pandora's box or was it, you know, something that ultimately could could have you know, provided uh, access to Ch for China to, you know, world markets? I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's it's beginning to look like beginning to look a little grim considering what they've become. Well, yeah, now, Tyler, so we had elections yesterday, primary elections in a number of states, and I know what the media is saying about them, but I'm going to give you the floor what is your overall take on the primary elections yesterday? The the media's quick take, I'll tell you, is scary Donald Trump. They're very worried that a lot of people Donald Trump endorsed won yesterday. That's the media's take. But what is the Todd Nixon take? How do you think Tuesday's primaries went? Oh, I think it's continuing to show that the rhinos are on the run and that you know that, that the Republican Party um, is now it's not just Trump. It's also, you know, it's becoming a patriot party that is being taken over um, and being well, let's put it this way, the the uh, you know, the quizzling ilk, the uh, you find this quite a bit in Arizona. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, like Georgia, it was very much been an epicenter of rhino rhino ish. You know, I mean, John McCain, Jeff Flake, 
I mean, you know, these people, these people were no friends to uh, to liberty, ultimately, or to the what should be the core values of the Republican Party, certainly against the Democrat socialist monolith. And I think what they're seeing is not, I mean, they want to say it's, oh, it's they're scared because it's Trump endorsement, but really it's what Trump represents and has fomented within the party that's larger than he is even, um, which is the, you know, the patriots rising up with a very cl clear, bold, primary color message that is in stark opposition to the Democrats, uh, you know, the Democrat fascist, frankly, is really what it is. Uh, Borg that runs their party uh, in Washington D.C. and pretty much in all the states at this point. That's um, a monolith. It's monolithic. I mean, there's really there's no room. No, there's no such thing as a dino. You never hear that, right? You never hear about anybody in the Democrat Party who is in any way in variance with the national uh, sort of uh, dogma or orthodoxy and the leadership. Um, so you know, the, the Republican Party has there's been a battle for its soul underway. Since frankly, Ron Paul stepped out and called out the neocon Bushian um, imposters, Republican imposters is what they really are, um, and for what they've done to the party and how they've basically just been sort of the war, uh, the, you know, the uniparty's warmongering side um, versus the Democrats' spendthrift socialist, um, you know, aspect of a domestic uh, goodies and freebies and free for all aspect, and have said. We're not going to stand for this. I mean, this is not you know, this is not what the Republican Party has ever really been about. And you people are uh, you're, you're, you're imposters, uh, you're counterfeit. And now they're stepping up. I mean, Ron Paul, I think, very much is the godfather of that, you know, going and bringing back the Robert Taft sort of Republican Party of limited government at home. And frankly, no, not being the policeman of the world, not being in the grip of globalists and their agenda. Um, you know, willing to sell American uh, sovereignty down the river in the interest of some sort of like, you know, kumbaya international world or new world order. Um, and then that has sort of been percolating over the years. You saw like with the Tea Party, it was nascent, I guess. And then, you know, Obama came in um, and really, I think, uh, just heightened that with the racial tensions and the the racial racializing of everything, and he's you know made the Democrat side and his you know his sort of politics so acutely anti-American or un-American that um, it, it is just really um, I think inspired and uh, sharpened the Republican side towards you know getting rid of these um, these uh, you know. Ultimately, I mean, like I wish we could get rid of Mitch McConnell's and people like that. I mean, there's a certain power to incumbency that unfortunately is very difficult to overcome. But I think no Republican from, you know, sort of legacy Republican um, who, who believes in the sort of the swamp life and has made a career of it um, should consider themselves safe. And we see so many new upstarts uh, you know, rising um, that are just pushing aside many of these um, these establishment, you know, sort of wishy-washy empty suits that they always put up and the GOP seems to always uh, favor so heavily for whatever reason, because they're either wealthy in their own right. And so they're these corporate types um, or they just are, uh, you know, innocuous enough in terms of their ideology. They don't they're not you know, off the reservation in terms of what the, the Chamber of Commerce and neocon type Republicans would find acceptable. Well, that's no that's not really a you know, that's not. Um, that's not the litmus anymore. And I think we're seeing now the turning where it's been it's been sort of a back and forth. And I think, you know, what you're going to see moving forward is the new Republican Party, which Donald Trump crystallized. You know, he 
was came in in just the right moment to allow all of these patriots and these folks you know, out of the Tea Party, the Ron Paul types. I mean, where you see Rand Paul being, you know, even though they, uh, you know, went head to head in the primaries and uh, the primary in 2016, that you know, Rand Paul's very much in line with Trump, and and Trump has delivered in terms of, uh, you know, not everything. I mean, he's been, you know, he's not certainly by no means perfect in any on any level, and he's he's not, you know, a pure. He's no purist is going to be pleased with Trump on on a number of things. But it doesn't matter because ultimately he became a movement leader and has sparked a uh, you know a generational movement that um, regardless of whether people might disagree on certain issues, overall we realize that we have to stick together as patriots and constitutionalists and people who are pro-America and believe in this country and our sovereignty. Um, we have to stick together and move forward and support these candidates, though they may not be the you know the blow-dried typical perfect candidate, we have to stick together and support them, or we're going to be and, subject to, frankly, with, uh, you know, tyranny from from the Democrat uh, monolith. And with Trump, Tyler, I get the feeling, again, I, I'll, I'll name one issue where I was very disappointed about Trump, Julian Assange. When Julian yeah, Assange yeah. was taken out of Ecuadorian embassy, I was very disappointed with Trump. But let me say this. I have a feeling and it's just a feeling I can't prove it, that if I were to get alone in a room with Trump for about a half hour, he would come around and join Assange. Do you get that feeling that, Mike, for instance, Mike Pompeo, I, I think, Pompeo, yeah. Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley, think, they hate Assange, and you're never going to change their opinion. But I think, Trump, you could. What do you think about that, Tyler? No, I, I think so. I think that he probably, in this first term, he wanted to— he didn't want to be some complete, you know, maverick out, outlier president. I mean, I think he tried very much to work with the establishment. To his credit, in some ways, I mean, you know, he gave them their due. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, to his credit, in terms of trying to be diplomatic, trying to give, you know, sort of uh, respect to what he thought was, you know, the American political establishment and the national security establishment. But you know, to his credit, but ultimately to his detriment, uh, is what it was. And he, he, I think, realized along the way that he was bamboozled. I think he was threatened in many ways. I think there were threat. I mean, anything like an Assange, I think there were threats made. You know, if you pardon Assange, we will. And I could hear Lindsey Graham being the deliver of those types of uh, ultimatums, uh, you know, right. to, to Trump. And, and, you know, that's why he was, oh, you know, he was so close. He was whispering in his ear. Yeah. If you don't do this and, you know, the Senate's going to so-and-so, you're going to be impeached, you're going to blah, 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 blah. I don't th I think Trump has realized that no matter what he did to try to mollify or assuage them, it was never going to be enough that they were undermining him and they were just riding it out just to get rid of him. And then if he gets back in there, I think he'll be wide open to anything that is going to prick, you know, uh, stick it in their eye. Uh, and you know, prickle, uh, you know, prick them, so to speak. Uh, he will, he will be open to it, and if not, willing to go along with it. And why wouldn't he? I mean, what, what would it be about Assange that Trump? I mean, if you listen to what he talks about, and you know, in his view of corruption, um, and of sort of uh, military interventionism and the national security state, there's nothing in his rhetoric or anything he has done that's inconsistent with his supporting Assange. It's just simply that. He was, you know, I think, buffaloed into it by Pompeo and these other, uh, you know, deep state nicks, and that's really where it's at. And once he's been liberated from them, since they didn't do any, him any favors and are still trying to destroy him, 
yeah, I would hope he would come around on a lot of issues like that, even the drug and war. You, you, Although, you notice how petrified the media is that Trump's endorsees won. They're acting as though it's an existential crisis. And I think it is in some senses. They realize the Trump movement is bigger than Trump, right? Yeah, they exactly. realize exactly. So go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was saying about how Trump crystallized it. And they they want to they want to think that it's just a Trump thing, like because they're so narrow minded, they can't understand and comprehend the larger politics of it because they're so sort of uh, they're they're very stunted in their thinking into this, you know, this D.C. centric beltway sort of the you know, the cutthroat politics of it. And they think that anybody that's outside of that is just a nut or some sort of, uh, you know, fringe person. They don't realize that, like, you know, Alex Jones, for they can crucify him all they want, but, I mean, he's been right about so much, and people realize that. And, that, and the type of rhetoric that Alex Jones um, uh, puts forth every single day is really what Americans want. Um, and it's not so crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, all the so-called conspiracy theories have been proven to be, you know, these are real. This is real. These people are really doing this to us, and we're feeling it, and we're experiencing it now firsthand, watching it happen in it's directly yes, affecting I, I, us in our lives. I think that part of Trump's revolution was he gave people the permission to think outside the narrative and knowing that they were going to be attacked for it. People saw the attacks Trump came under, but he withstood them. So he gave people inspiration and courage, in a sense, to question the narrative. And that is what the people who guard the narrative, like the media, fear most about Trump. And when you have celebrities like Joe Rogan or Russell Brand, who basically question the narrative, they don't even come down hard on a side. I think, do you, do you agree that Trump's ability to question the narrative is what frightens the mainstream media most about him? Yes. He emboldened and highlighted people who are truth tellers. You know, they could say, oh, Trump's a liar. That's it's one of the reasons they had this whole 10,000 lies trying to paint him as a liar when people know he was telling it like it is. And that's exactly why they hate him, because they cannot control him, number one, and they cannot stop him from exposing the truth and the reality that everyone knows about the system. And frankly, he also blew the whole uniparty paradigm out when he when he first blew out the bushes and their ilk and then blew the Clinton legacy away. And just, you know, said, wow, we don't we don't have to be stuck with these false choices between, you know, one one side of the or the other of the same uh, disgusting D.C. centric, you know, tyrannical coin. We can actually go outside that and elect somebody who's real and is uh, represents us and believes in our, uh, you know, our interests and represents that versus let's face it. I mean, <laughs> what were we what choice would we have had? Where Clinton versus Bush. I mean, give me a break. It's it's almost a horror to think about. And even now they're talking about Clinton again. I mean, these people, they keep recycling the same crap and their minions below them, Ocasio-Cortez and all this. They're a joke. That's why they have no bench whatsoever, because they have no and principles. Time, Tom, and they have nothing. We're at, the end of, yep. we're at the end of the hour, but thanks for a great conversation. Let me ask you a quick question. Does sure. the Republican Party need Donald Trump more or does Donald Trump need the Republican Party more? What say you? I think it's uh, I think it's a symbiotic relationship, but I think he needs the party more than the party needs him. And the new party, I should say, you know, not 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 the traditional uh, 
whatever you want to call it, the establishment. Great conversation, Tyler Nixon. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks to Yakov Shapiro being with us in the first hour. And thanks to Jareef for calling in. We'll be back tomorrow on the best damn talk show in the world. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Backstory.